chapter 19, we, uh, we really took a look at that, and then we looked at Exodus chapter number 20, a very unusual passage. Uh, when you really begin to get a sense of what's happening in Exodus chapter number 20, it is the giving of the law, the giving of the Ten Commandments, but it is actually God talking to uh, the children of Israel. He is not uh, writing these things down on tables of stone or anything of that nature. He is actually uh, talking to the people of God about the Ten Commandments. And tonight, though, we find ourselves after God has... Now spoken to the children of Israel, and he's given Moses some direct laws. Um, he is uh, going to be, uh, if you will, ratifying the covenant. And in doing that, he is going to call up Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, and he's going to call up the 70 elders, and he's going to have a meal with them. And he's going to ratify this covenant. He's going to set it in place. And then Moses is going to go into the mount again for another 40 days and 40 nights, and he is going to receive the laws of God. But in this chapter here tonight, we find a very interesting phrase. He says in verse number 20, chapter 24, in verse number 1, it says, and, Moses, and, and, and he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and, seven, and, the 70, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. Worship ye afar off. Tonight I just want to look at a uh, thought that I've had here is this, is that God has a plan for all of us to draw close to him. God has a plan for all of us to draw close to him. And that plan which God has drawn up, if you will, to draw close to the Lord is called worship. That's what it's called. It's called worship. In the chapter set before us here tonight, we have see that God has a plan for Moses and his, and his people to draw close to him. And God, through this chapter, you're going to see narrows down the list, if you will. And uh, he is going to, little by little, eventually just be speaking to Moses. But the questions I have is, is God still acting this way? Is this the way God still has outlined it that he is just simply want to speak to one man or one woman does God have favorites I don't believe that he does God simply states whosoever shall what call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved God says whosoever but in this chapter here tonight we see a special dispensation which God is calling out Moses for a special task but I also believe it represents for us an excellent example on how we should and can be worshiping God. We can and should be worshiping God. There are five simple things here tonight on how we can worship the Lord, on why we should be worshiping the Lord, on the fact that God has a plan for us to worship Him. And what is that plan? What is God's bullet points on worship? Well, I don't know that I'll be able to give all of them. I'm sure there are many more than five. But I think that it outlines for us tonight these five very simple things. Number one is that God calls us to worship him. God calls us to worship him. I call this just simply the calling of worship. The calling of worship. God calls us to him. The Bible says in chapter 24 and verse number one, he says, come up unto the Lord. That's a call. That's a, come to me. I am wanting you to worship me. 
And then he says, And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and, and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said we will do. Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the, under the hill and the twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. God says, come, come worship me, come worship me. He is the author of worship. He is the author that calls people to worship him. Uh, you know, a lot of times people say that religion is a man-made invention. It's something in which man has made in order to uh, fill a void in his life, in order to make him feel better, in order to uh, make him feel complete, to make him, uh, make him try to uh, fit into a certain mold, if you will. But that is not a biblical stance whatsoever. Because from our Bibles, we can see and understand that worship Religion, if you want to word it like that, uh, uh, it is kind of interesting that that word religion has taken on a, a very bad nuance in our day and age today. But if you'll read commentaries from the 1800s or the 1700s, you'll find that oftentimes that the word religion uh, had a, a very good uh, association with it. In fact, our Bibles in the book of James uses the word religion in a, in a good way. So there's not a bad thing to say religion is just has gained a I guess a bad name for itself in the day and age that we live in but if you want to call it religion or call it worship or whatever you want to call it the point being is this is that religion worship God if you will none of that is man made none of it is it's God made God invented worship. God invented religion. God invented this wonderful system in which uh, he has placed us under. Worship is not man-made, but it's Bible-made. It's God-made. God is the one that's telling us to come and worship him. In fact, in our Bibles here, in verse number one of the chapter, it says, he says, in worship ye afar off. That is only the second time that you find worship being used. Quite interestingly, the very first time that you find the worship word worship used is this, is when Abraham is going to go, he says, when, uh, when he, he says to, about his son Isaac, that me and the lad will go and worship. We'll go and worship. So think about that. You have Abraham worshiping God. And then who's the next man on the line? You've got, you got Moses worshiping. The, it's the, it comes up with Moses. This thing of worship is not man-made. It's God-made. It, it's a call that comes from God. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this, is will we respond to the calling? Uh, will we respond to the calling? Uh, on my phone, I've got it, I don't have my phone with me, but when I have my phone with me and I'll sometimes get a phone call and it will say, uh, how many of you have it, have your phone set to where it will say spam call, right? Uh, you say, and you look at that and you go, or it'll say, I think it says potential spam, right? And you, yeah, and you go, you say to yourself, mm, not answering that call, right? I'm not answering that call. I know a lot of people that don't answer any numbers that they don't know. I'm prone to do that too. If I don't know the number, I'm probably not going to answer it. Uh, I have even found out that the telephone companies or whoever these people are, the, uh, these insurance agents or whoever, you know, car warranty specialists, whoever they are, are, are able to find your number and make it, uh, my number is 512-568-6594, all right? So uh, they're able to actually have my number, 512-568, and sometimes they'll even say 65, 
And then uh, and it kind of gets your curiosity up. Who's calling me from almost a number that looks just like mine? Um, am I going to pick it up? Am I going to answer? Now, there's somebody else that calls me, and she has a special ringtone. Uh, uh, she has a, uh, her face comes up uh, whenever she calls. Uh, it, it's, it's a little bit different of a phone call, and when that person calls, uh, even on the thing, even on whenever it calls, her name on there is not her name, but it is the name that I only call her, Sweetheart. Uh, and so, uh, but when, when, when that phone rings and I see that person on, on there and I see my wife's face on there and I hear her ringtone, uh, you know what I do? I, I answer the phone. I answer the phone. And there's no spam calling us tonight to worship God. But it's God himself saying, come and worship. Come and worship. I want you to worship me. Turn your Bibles over to the book of John, chapter number 4. John, chapter number 4. You'll hold your place there because the majority of our message will come out of this chapter here. But in John, chapter number 4, notice what Jesus says here. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and as he's talking to her, she brings up this uh, debate on religion and worship and Jesus tells her, he kind of sets her straight because he reminds her that you're confused on worship. You think that worship is in this place or in that place, but I'm here to tell you. He says in verse number 21, Jesus says, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain uh, nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But look what he says here. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God in the New Testament is not only calling people to worship him. God in the New Testament, and he's the same God as the Old Testament, but here he is not only calling them, saying, come and worship me. He is actually seeking such to worship him. He's seeking such to worship him in spirit and in truth. You say, I'm not worthy. I'm not able to worship God. I mean, look at me. I have, I have nothing. In Luke chapter number 14, verses 16 through 24, God says, he's, God gives a, Jesus gives a wonderful parable about how there was this husbandman who had, or not, uh, there was this Lord who had sent out and he called people out to his son's marriage, but those that were in prominence and those that were his friends and those that were uh, wealthy and well-to-do wouldn't come. They had too much to do. He said, forget about all those guys. Go into the highways, into the hedges. Go get the poor, the lame, the halt, the blind. He said, and bring them to the feast. All right? What am I saying here tonight? Listen, I'm saying this is that none of us are worthy to worship God. And those that think that they are too busy for God, too busy for worship, God says in this parable is saying, you know what? I'm looking for people to worship me. I am seeking for people to worship me. Sick, lame, halt, blind, lame, it doesn't matter. None of us are worthy or able to worship the Lord God Almighty, but God is still calling out people to worship Him. Secondly, we see here in verses 5 through 8, go back to your text here in Exodus chapter number 24, and notice what he says. 
we see the conditions for worship. The conditions for worship. Worship of God is only possible through the blood in the book. The blood in the book. Look here at verse 5. It says here, now he says, And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant, read in the audience of the people, and they, all said, and they said, All the Lord that hath said, we will do and be obedient. Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. God calls us to worship, but he also establishes some conditions for worship. Yes, none of us are worthy, none of us are able, none of us are good enough to worship God. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. And, but before we can actually begin to worship him, there are some conditions laid out. There are some conditions about the book. The book. And he says, I'm going to read this book to you. In verse number 7, he took the book of the covenant and read it in the audience of the people. And they all said, we will do it. We will listen to it. All right? Uh, going back to our John 4 passage, what did Jesus say to the, to the woman at the well? He said to her, he said, but they that worship the Lord must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. Some people have this false idea that I can worship God any way that I please. But my friend, the conditions for worship are outlined for us in the word of God. Uh, I mean, some simple conditions are that we don't set up any graven image, Right? Another condition is that we don't uh, we don't worship uh, we don't uh, we don't worship God just any way that we please. We worship God in the ways that He has deemed uh, worthy of worship. Uh, we don't uh, worship like they were trying to worship in First Corinthians chapter number eleven. What were they doing there? Well, they established the Lord's table. And they thought that they could worship God by, you know, one, the coffees get to bring in their meal and the parks get to bring in theirs and the coxes get to bring in theirs and the Faywells get to bring in their meal and, and we can, you can eat yours and I can eat mine and, and if, you have, if you don't have enough, well, too bad for you. I've got plenty over here and, and some were bringing in wine and some were getting drunk and some were uh, not having enough to eat and, and it was just a mess. It was a madhouse. Can you imagine? They thought, well, this is how we uh, worship God. I call the Corinthians, I've been thinking about them lately, I guess because I'm reading about through it, but they're kind of like the progressive church. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what I feel like they're like. They're the progressive church. I, I mean, they were into uh, women's rights. They were into, uh, they were into drinking. They were into uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the divisions and uh, you do this and you do that and one's more, more, one's more popular than this and one more popular than that. Isn't it amazing that people will base their churches off one of the most... Uh, uh, rebuke churches that you find in the Word of God. Well, what are you saying, preacher? What I'm saying is this: there are conditions. First Corinthians outlines us for us conditions for worship. There's conditions that are set on us as a church on how to properly worship corporately. Uh, that we're not to have, uh, uh, you know, popcorn, uh, if you will, uh, popcorn preaching of people. This person's standing up and that person's standing. This person's got a testimony. And this person's got a tongue to speak in. And this person's got an interpretation. And, well, this person's got a song. And this person's got a, you know, a, a, a prophecy. I mean, it was just pandemonium that you find there in, uh, in, in the book of Corinthians. There's conditions that are outlined for us in the word of God on how to worship the Lord. One of the conditions, one of the most appropriate conditions in which the Bible lays out for us in the way to worship God is to pray. To pray. 
It's one of the most proper ways in which we can worship God. Praying. Bowing down before Him. Being in a position of worship. There's conditions. But another condition in order to worship God is the blood. Matthew 26, 28. Jesus, whenever He took the cup, He said, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He says in Romans 3.25, he says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Hebrews 9.22, And almost all things are by the law purged with the blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. And what did Moses do here whenever he is establishing this worship that God calls them to? He takes the blood, he puts it in a basin, he puts some on the altar, and he sprinkles some on the people. Now, I'm glad for the blood of Jesus, and I'm also glad for the spiritual blood that is applied to my account in the sense that I'm not literally up here with a blood in a bowl and a hyssop, you know what I mean, throwing blood on you. I mean, I don't know what that was like on that day. Can you imagine having blood thrown on you that day? It must have been a very powerful illustration, but uh, no doubt about it. I mean, that's what was happening in that, in that, in that, in that case right there. Now, I do believe literally that the blood of Jesus Christ, his literal blood was shed for me. But you see, my point here is that, that this blood that is shed here, it is a condition. It outlines for us. That the way to worship the Lord is only going to be through the blood of Christ. It's through His blood. Now, I'm not worthy. I know you're not worthy. I'm not good enough. I know you're not good enough. But here's the thing. You can be worthy to worship by His blood. His blood cleanses you from all sin. His blood forgives you from all sin. His blood grants you remission. If we're going to go up the mountain, if we're going to worship God, then we must see his calling, we must see his conditions, we must see that there is a climbing effect here. Go back in your Bibles to Exodus chapter number 19. Exodus chapter number 19. In Exodus 19, we find out that Moses and, or excuse me, God comes down and speaks to the children of Israel, and it's a terrifying scene. It's an amazing scene. In chapter number 19, after it's all said and done, the, the people hear the voice of God. They see all of this thing, and they're scared. They're scared. And no doubt about it, I would have been scared too. We all would have probably been scared. But the people ask him, they say to Moses, they say, you go speak to God. We've heard God and we're good with this. We're okay. Now will you go speak to God for us? Will you go speak to him? We don't want to hear his voice anymore. It's too much for us. So you have the congregation that have been left down at the bottom of the mountain. Look here at chapter number 24. At verse number 1. He says, come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders. Go down a little bit ways in verse number 9. And then went up Moses, Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel. And they, all, and they saw the God of Israel. Well, you've got the children of Israel seeing God. Now you've got 
a little bit narrower group here. You've got Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders. 74 people seeing God. And then, after they see God and have communion with God, uh, the Bible tells us this. It says that in verse number 13, it says, And Moses rose up in his minister, Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. And he said unto the elders, Tarry ye here for us. Until we come again unto you, and behold, Aaron and Hur are with you, and if any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. So now we've, we've, went, from, we've went from millions of people uh, to 74 people to two people that are going up to the Mount of God. Now notice one more case here in verse number 15. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount. Moses goes in all by himself. It's almost like they're dropping off like flies, you know what I mean? The closer they get to the Lord. I know in this case that we're seeing here tonight that this is God calling Moses into the mount, into the cloud. But you know, when I read this, it's too sadly, sadly it is oftentimes the case that people just don't want to worship the Lord. They just don't want to get that close to God. They're oftentimes like the children of Israel. They say, you know what? We're good. We're good down here. We, we heard the voice once. We're okay. We don't want to get any closer to the Lord. But in order to get closer to God, you need to climb higher. There's a climbing aspect. Sometimes people are too, they're okay with just getting the message, if you will, from the pastor. And they don't want to get it from the Lord. They don't have a desire to seek God. But in our New Testament, in our New Testament dispensation, aren't you glad that God has made a new and living way, like it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 19, verses, through, verses 19 through 22? Aren't you glad that in James 4, 8, that, Jesus, that, God, that James says that draw nigh unto God and he will what? Draw nigh unto you, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In the children of Israel's case, in the leader's case, in the neighborhood of Nadab and Abihu and Aaron and Moses and the 70 elders in Joshua's case, all of them, God was telling them, he was saying, no, don't come any further. No, don't come any further. No, don't come any further. Moses, you come further. Even Moses, even in the end, says, I want to see your face. And he says, you can't come any further. But we have been given a new condition. We've been given a new command. We've been given a new opportunity. For the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 10, in verse number 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You see, it's by the blood. By the blood of Christ, we have been able, we have been given this opportunity to worship God even more, to find ourselves closer to Him by a new and living way, which He consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, he says here, he's teaching us that there is a climbing effect. We ought to be desiring to be getting closer and closer and closer and closer to God. Thank God that it has not been relegated just to a couple of Moseses in our lives. 
Thank God in the New Testament and in the church that God has not just said, you know what, well, it's just Moses or it's just the pastor or it's just this guy or it's just this woman. You know, only a few people have special access to God. No, my friend. There's been a new and living way that's been opened up for all of us. We all can worship the Lord. We all can come before him in, the pre- in his presence. We all can come before him. But do we want to? Do we desire to? Are we okay? Are we kind of like the children of Israel? You know what? I've heard God once. I'm okay. I'll stay here at the bottom of the mountain. I don't want to go any further. I don't want to hear God's voice anymore. I'm okay. I'm good. May we not become complacent in our worship with God. May we not become complacent in worshiping Him. We see the calling, the conditions, the climbing. But then there's the communing. The communing. And in verses number 9 through 11, he says, Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, paved work of sapphire stone, as it were, the body of the heaven in this clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. This is a very curious passage right here. I mean, very unusual. And two times the Bible actually says they saw God. I mean, I read that correctly, right? I saw that, right? I mean, it says they saw God. I mean, how can we, how do we rectify this? Because we're told uh, a little bit later in Exodus chapter number 33 that Moses says, I want to see your face. But God says, you will not see my face. Uh, for if any man will see my face, no man can see my face and live. Uh, so so what? what is this? Well, um, the best way that I can, I guess so I can explain it and understand it is going back to what it says. And under his feet as as it were a paved work of a sapphire stone and as it were a body of heaven in his clearness. They saw God's glory in a fullness and in a clearness that they had never seen before in their whole entire lives. They see a glory of God. They, it's, it's, to me, it reminds me of the vision that Ezekiel sees there in Ezekiel chapter number 1. Or as you think of John uh, the Apostle seeing the Lord Jesus Christ there in the Revelation chapter number 1. You think of it as Isaiah as he's in the temple seeing the Lord high and lifted up. And all of his glory and his glory and his train filled the temple. Was this Christ? It could have been. I'm under the belief that most likely that these appearances of God in the flesh are of God in front of these people. And, and um, some even take it as far to say that the actual voice that they're hearing is the voice of Jesus. Because he is God manifest in the flesh, if you will. I have no problem with that. I have no issue with that. Um, but did they see the Christ? Did they see him? Well, I know this. They saw something that I've never seen before. They saw his glory. They saw his manifestation of God that they had never seen before. They saw God and did eat and drink. Another thing here is interesting to me. Not only did they see God, which is astounding, which is amazing, but another thing is this. Is that when they see God, he says, let's have a meal. (laughs) I mean, that's just so unusual to me. I mean, it seemed like there could have been a thousand other things that they could have done. But but what do they they say they're going to do? Let's eat. 
let's eat. Very interesting thing too, but because whenever you look back over throughout the Old Testament and some of these older covenants, you find that oftentimes that a ratification of the covenant was done over a meal. And that's exactly what God does here. They commune with one another. They commune with God. They talk with God. They, they're eating with each other. And isn't one of the most intimate settings that we have in life is sitting down and eating with one another? It's an intimate setting. It's a good setting. It's a, it's a delightful setting. Uh, what did Jesus do whenever he was on the face of the earth? And what I've just read to you in Matthew chapter number 26, what did he establish? We call it sometimes communion, they call it. What did he establish? The Lord's table. The Lord's Supper. He instituted it. And what did he tell his disciples after uh, his resurrection and they had disobeyed him and went fishing when Jesus said, you're not to be fishing for fish anymore, but you'll be fishing for men. What did he, what did he do? He said to them, come and dine, right? And when they came up on the shore, he already had some fish uh, cooking for them. What does Jesus call himself? He calls himself water and bread. God desires to have fellowship with us. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter number 1 and verse 3. Part of worship is communing with God. And I, in a way, you almost feel like it's too much of a relaxed situation. Here's God in all of his glory. This sapphire floor in front of him is, is, I don't know, is God standing here in front of them on a sapphire floor that is just hovering or hovering around them? I, I'm not for sure exactly what it looked like, but it was awesome. It was glorious. It was amazing. And then he says, sit down and eat, boys. Have a meal. And to me, it almost seems too lax. It almost seems too, I don't know, Relaxing, I guess I don't know of another word to say other than those words, but understand this is that God is available to us and God wants to have a close, intimate relationship with all of us as his children. First John chapter 1 and verse number 3, notice what he says. Talking about Jesus Christ, he says, That which we have seen and heard and declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Think about John the Apostle at the Last Supper. What does the Bible say that John the Apostle was doing? It says he was leaning on Jesus' you know, chest. He's leaning up against Christ. I can't, in our minds, we can't fathom that. But God wants us to have a communion with him. I'm not taking away any reverence that we ought to give to God. Trust me. Trust me, none, none whatsoever. There was reverence there. They saw God in all of his glory. Trust me, there was a lot of reverence there. But at the exact same time, there's not only reverence, but there is also fellowship. He opened himself to us to have fellowship. He says, though, in verse number 6, if we have fellowship and with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So be careful there. But then he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. I won't uh, go back and hit that again, but I do think that interesting that, again, it brings up the blood. The blood. 
How do we have fellowship? How do we have worship? The blood of Christ is what brings us into this relationship. Communion with God is a part of worship. God has opened himself to us to commune with him, to talk with him. Read your Psalms. Read your, read your prophets. Notice how those men and women, notice how they talk to God. Uh, sometimes we have this idea that we, we have this hierarchical talking to God, but, I mean, they were just real with God. They spoke to God with their hearts. They communed with God. They talked with God in, in, in a real fashion. Sometimes as you read through the Psalms or uh, sometimes as you read through the, uh, one of the occasions that I think of is the life of Elijah, sometimes it almost seems like they're being disrespectful to God in their talk to the Lord. But I don't believe they were. They were just being real with God and communing with Him and talking with Him. Because that's how God has he's allowed Himself to be opened up in this way, in a relationship. And that's part of the worship aspect, communing with Him. And finally, we see consistency. Moses, it says in verse number 18, when he gets to the top of the mount, it says, and Moses was in the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. If we worship the Lord, we must learn to tarry with him. And I believe this last point tonight is the most important, yet it's one of the most difficult aspects of worship for all of us. Will we tarry? Will we continue? How long will we worship God? Think about it like this. The children of Israel couldn't even worship God for 40 days. For 40 days they could not worship God. Because they gave up worshiping God and they went and worshiped the golden calf. They couldn't worship God for 40 days. They fell and worshiped this golden calf. Consistency is the key to worship. A worshiper of God is called to be a faithful worshiper. God is looking for us to stay the course and not give up on worshiping him. If our prayers are not answered, we keep worshiping God. If times get tough, we worship God. If we even find ourselves to have wandered afar away that we shouldn't have gone. God is wanting us to come back and guess what? Worship him again. God is calling for us to worship him with a consistent heart worship. One more passage tonight in Acts chapter number 24 and verse number 14. Notice what Paul says here. Here is Paul before Felix. He's giving his defense and in Acts chapter 24, in verse number 14, the Bible says this. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope towards God which they of themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Here is a man that is consistent in his worship. He's willing to go all the way with his worship. 
He's willing to say, it doesn't matter how far this takes me. It doesn't matter how far I have to go to worship God. I will worship him. Even if it means my death, I will worship God. I will worship him. It reminds me of those uh, children of, of uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who would, worship, would not worship the golden image but rather, rather worship God. They were consistent. I believe that's the key to worship. How long will we worship? How much will we worship? Will we worship consistently? Will we continue to worship? Or if, if it doesn't fit our schedule, will we stop worshiping? If, we kinda, if things don't really work out for us, will we just kind of give out on worshiping? Why are we worshiping? Are we worshiping because it's convenient? Are we worshiping because it's available? Are we worshiping because we truly want to worship God and give Him all? Jesus said that the Lord is seeking such to worship Him, commune with Him, talk with Him. Get close to him, follow him, give up our lives to him. There's a plan for all of us in this grand scheme of things. Man did not create worship. God has a plan for all of us to draw closer to him and it's called worship. Worship. And he sets out this plan in Exodus chapter number 24. He's called us. He's set out the conditions. He's laid them out. May we follow this. May we commune with him. May we be consistent with him. May we not be satisfied with the status quo. Say, well, I, you know, I've read my Bible or I've read through my Bible a couple of times. I, I prayed today. No, may we be wanting to draw closer and closer and closer to the Lord. Talk about Him. Praise Him. Give Him glory. Give Him praise. What are we doing to draw closer to God? To worship Him. Father, we're thankful for the Word of God. We pray that you please will help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us, Father, to follow you and love you in all our heart, soul, and mind. Help us, Lord, to worship you. Lord, we cannot worship you without these conditions in place. Without, Lord, you effectively cleansing us, Lord, every single day with the blood of Christ. May God you do that. May God you help us to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.